electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, streaking stocks and what CNBC's new survey says about how long the record run can last. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today... We've got Bryn Talkington here, along with Rob Seachin, Joe Terranova, and Pete Nigerian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It's good to see everybody. Let's take a look at where stocks are trading today. Dow's going for six in a row. It is positive right now by 66. Otherwise, we're taking a broad breather. I guess you could say the S&P 500 is basically flat. NASDAQ's given some back. And maybe that's because of what's happening on the right-hand side of your screen. There's the 10-year note yield ticking higher today, 154. Uh, Bryn, is that right now? The most interesting thing to look at, what's happening in bond yields and what the relation could be to certain kinds of stocks? I think it will be next year. I think it absolutely will. I think all of us were surprised that yields have stayed low, especially on the, I mean, the, the short end is, can't go much higher um, until Jay raises rates. But the long end has been so low. I think that next year, this could all change. I think it's really important for the viewers to realize you know, in October of 20, October of 2021, let's say the Fed was buying 80 billion in treasuries. By March of 2022, that will be zero. And if you look at this year, the Fed has purchased about 40 percent of issuance of long dated treasuries. That's going to go to zero next year. And so I think there can be a lot more volatility once we get past Omicron. And hopefully there's no more Greek letters behind that. And as the economy, hopefully globally, can get past this, I think there's definitely going to be front and center what is going on with the long end and how volatile and if it does actually move meaningful, meaningfully higher above the 150s, more into the 170s. We'll see. But definitely, I think that's going to be um, on everyone's radar. Joe, this move in rates has certainly gotten the attention of Rick Santelli, for example, who notes it this morning, says he wouldn't be surprised to see 160 by the end of the year. We're just talking a few days there, or at least pushing towards that. How big of a story is this after the kind of run that we've just had over a five-day stretch? I, th I think Rick's right. I think it is the story, actually. Um, and I do see 10-year Treasury yields moving probably 15 to 20 basis points higher in the next couple of weeks. And that's probably going to rattle a select subset of equities, just as it did uh, at the beginning of 2020. Let's remember what a rise in yields did then. So uh, that, that clearly is the story. We're seeing a little bit of a technical breakout that is unfolding right now. It's going to rattle biotech. It's going to rattle the Kathy Wood type stocks. It's going to rattle the hyper growth stocks. And it is going to be the story until we're able to move into hopefully what would be the comfort of earnings season. I mean, Pete, it's a convenient excuse, obviously, to say, hey, look at the move in the 10 year and suggest that, well, that's why stocks maybe aren't doing all that much today. You could also say, look, we just needed a breather. 
Um, you raced yeah. higher over the last five days. I mean, S&P 500 is up 6% in just a five-day stretch. Mm -hmm. So a little breather, for whatever yeah. reason you want to pin it to, ain't such a bad thing. Right. I totally agree with you, Scott. I think this is a pause and, and taking a breather, as you're saying. And this is something we've been watching, you know, for many, many years now, and particularly during this pandemic where we've had some, some very violent moves to the upside and obviously the downside, but these violent moves to the upside, and then there's that pause. And, and I think that that seems to make a lot of sense to me of what we're seeing right now. Obviously, we're looking at volumes, Scott, that are absolutely getting hammered to the downside. I'll give you one great example of that. In my world, the derivatives world, the first week of December, we were averaging about 50 million contracts a day. Since that time, we're averaging about 37 million contracts a day. As a matter of fact, yesterday was the lightest volume day almost of the entire year at about 28 million contracts. So gives you a little bit of an idea. I think people are, are comfortable where things are, where they're positioned right now. And I think they want to sit back and have a pause. We'll see if that lasts. Obviously, any kind of a violent move or a news story about Omicron or any other variants that possibly could pop up. Uh, will definitely have some effects on the market. But for right now, I think people are looking at it and just looking forward to January, and like Joe said, getting back to earnings season and getting back to a little bit of this normalcy. Rob, maybe you, you chalk it up to Omicron relief rally if, if you want to pin it at that. Mike Santoli is looking at things today, says, you know, it's just a pause, take a breather, um, but also questions, is it enough for now? When you've come so far in such a short period of time, and now we're at the end of the year. You've gotten some window dressing and you may get a little bit more for 2022. The landscape is going to get a little more tricky once you turn the calendar. Yeah, I think it is. And that's why, given the uncertainty out there, we're holding a little more cash going into year end. Um, I think investors that are that are looking to put cash to work, we're encouraging a little bit of a wait and see. I mean, the Fed has told you they're data dependent and, you know, to some extent we're we're data dependent. Um, I think we're hugging our old positioning, though, where we're in, you know, cyclicals and value barbelled with quality tech, not changing that. Um, I think when we get into next year, we're going to see an environment where probably growth surprises to the upside due to the supply of labor. And we think, you know, incomes are going to be up quite significantly on that. The question is, does that income growth overpower inflation? I think the, the consensus is that it does, and we are uncomfortably in the consensus in, in that stance. And so we suspect volatility kind of going into year end in the first quarter, but ultimately we think that the, the growth is gonna surprise to the upside and inflation will remain a back burner issue. One more thing, of course, the Fed could always surprise us. And there's a lot of people out there that think the Fed is, in fact, behind the curve and they're going to have to tighten quite substantially. And if they do, I think, you know, all, all bets may be off for that consensus view. Well, I mean, look, we had the CNBC stock survey and worrying about a Fed mistake is high on people's list of the biggest risks that are out there, along with inflation uh, and COVID and the economic impacts of that. I'm curious, and I, I think all of you, or certainly most of you, were part of this CNBC stock survey where they ask, where will the S&P 500 be by the end of 2022? 55% of those asked say up less than 10%. And we've gone through the numerous risks that are out there. Does inflation continue? Does it get worse? 
Does the Fed have to raise interest rates more than people are willing to be comfortable with because inflation is uh, hotter than than people think? I'm, I'm wondering, Joe, where you come down on that. Fifty five percent of people think less than 10 percent for the S&P 500 in 2022. Do you think we do better than that or is that where you come down? I always like to set the expectation, Scott. So I, I don't look towards a new year and say to myself, well, at the end of the year, I think my price target's going to be the following. Uh, I think what happens is as the, as the year begins to progress, you begin to see this formulation of whether it's headwinds or tailwinds that's going to define the environment. And the way I see it now is going into 2022, there is certainly a tremendous amount of pressure on corporations and consumers to continue contributing to the overall positive environment of the last year. Profit margins for corporations are at all-time highs, and consumers seem not to be yet concerned about the inflationary pressure. So I think about 2022, and I say to myself, you know what? I want to maintain low expectations because I do think the headwinds that we're going to be challenged with in the coming year are probably going to be a little bit stronger than what we've experienced in 2021 for sure, and volatility is going to rise. So I kind of think of it that way, and then I hope that I can just elevate and exceed my lower expectations. And what I do from a positioning standpoint is exactly what I see the market doing in the month of December. Without question, this market right now is gravitating towards a more defensive holding, whether it's consumer staples or it's healthcare itself, the market right now is trading up in terms of quality, and that's some of the behavior that I'm trying to replicate as I look towards the new year. Okay. That was a creative way of, of punting uh, on my question, but you know how <laughs> no. we roll on this show, no, Joe. There's no, no, punt, there's no punting no. allowed on this show. Yeah, it is, because you didn't, no, you didn't want to no, be pinned but, down to what... But, here, I'm going to ask you the question. Let me ask you the question again. Let me ask you the question again. I'll ask you, sure. I'll ask so you a little let's bit do, of a, a Scott, different let's way. do what, every, and, and, let's and do what everyone answer. else does. Let's... Okay, let's make it up like everyone else does, just like everyone else did in We're January of 2020, just like just like everyone okay. else did in December of 2019. People come on the network, people come on the financial okay. services industry, and they throw out targets on what they think it's going to be one year from now. And without question, not, the answer is no one knows, you, Scott. I'm not, I'm not pinning you on a, on a target. I don't need an S&P target from you. What I simply want to know is if you have okay. the majority of people that we asked as part of the CNBC survey say you're going to get less than 10 percent out of the S&P next year, I want to know whether you agree with that. Is it going to be a single digit year, Joe? Because a lot of people would view that as a disappointment. Is it because of the headwinds that we have out there? We just put in a great year on the S&P. Can we back it up or are we do for a single digit return year? I think that's a normal and fair question that everybody should have to answer. I'm not asking you for an S&P target. I don't care what you think about whether we're going to get to 5,000, 5,200, 4,800 or whatever. What's the answer to that question? I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you over whether I'm giving a target or not. If you're asking me if I think it's going to be single digits, then in fact, I am giving you a target. What I'm telling you is that in 2022, it is going to be a much harder year than it was in 2021. In 2022, it's going to be a more volatile year. And in 2022, it's going to have to be a consumer that's able to endure an inflationary environment. And it's going to have to be corporations that are going to be able to pass through a lot of rising input costs and wage pressures. If they're able to do that, 
then the S&P will stay steady on its current bull trend of the last three years. Whether it's up single digits or double digits, sorry, man, I'm just not smart enough to know that. Okay. Uh, Pete, you want to opine on this question again? The majority of people we asked said you're going to get a single-digit year. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's going to be that kind of year? Is it going to be a tougher to, to make money kind of year? I would say it this way, Scott. I would say in the first half of the year, very similar to what Tom Lee talked about, I think we will see what Joe was talking about, volatility. I think that's, that will get passed in the second half of the year. And that's why I would also agree with Tom on the idea that I think it goes more than 10% to the upside. I think what we're seeing and what we saw in the last couple of years has been a very, very quality rotation that's been very healthy within the markets. We've had huge runs out of specific sectors, the leaders, and even some very specific names. And then we've paused and others have taken that lead. I think that's exactly what we'll see. I think the supply constraints will absolutely loosen up by the time we get towards the summer months and we'll start to feel a lot more comfortable. And I think that's when the markets will start to kick in a little bit more. So I think, yes, it's going to be volatile in the first half. And I think in the second half, it'll look a lot like what we've been seeing this year, which has been a very healthy rotation. And I think there are certain specific sectors that I look at that I think have some incredible potential upside. Joe was talking about inflation and, and, and some of these various areas. I'll tell you what, energy is one of those areas where we had an unbelievable, from the day the president got into office, we watched the price of oil go from 38 to 85 bucks in that short period of time. We did drop back down to 67, then today we were near 77. So it just gives you a little bit of an idea. I don't think that's over with. I think energy and other parts of the, of the market will take the lead at times, and, and, and they'll pause as well. But I like... I like what we saw for the most part this past year. And I'll tell you, the derivatives markets were all over this, Scott. They absolutely were all over this from the start of November all the way around. And then the pause in November this year with energy, you, we, we absolutely saw that within the derivatives markets. I think the financials are going to be a really interesting play. Obviously, a lot of that predicated mm. on exactly how the Fed is able to orchestrate what they're doing. So I, I'm, I'm very much looking at the financials as another area that potentially could be a very explosive move to the upside. Okay, it's funny you say that because, Bryn, when we ask people, what are you more likely to buy now, financials top the list, 35%. 27% said economic recovery cyclical stocks. Only 15% said mega cap tech, which is kind of surprising. I, I granted they've had a good year, but if you think that it's going to get a little more difficult or certainly more volatile and maybe more tricky is the best word to use in 2022, mega cap tech's been defensive too. So 15% say that's the place to be, Bryn, whereas 35% say financials. What do you think is the best sector to look towards? right now to buy heading into the new year? So, so to, to marry this question with your original question about market projections for next year, I do think that you know the tech sector, including consumer discretionary, which includes Tesla and Amazon in the S&P, is probably close to 40%, something like that. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. And so I definitely think the market as a whole, the S&P market cap weighted, is gonna be dependent on those seven or eight names continuing 
And I do think so. So that to me is is interesting because that could really be a headwind. And as, as I've talked about before, the Nasdaq's done 20 percent for the last 10 years. There's nothing to say that it can't do 20 percent for the last 11 years. But I do think with a more hawkish Fed. And once again, that fiscal drag is real. It's real to GDP. I think it will cause GDP to slow. Um, I think, and if we have inflation and rates going higher, I think that can be a challenging time for technology. And so, you know, in our portfolios as an asset allocator, we own everything that you just put on there in, in earnest, with the exception of healthcare, just because I don't necessarily do healthcare as a sector, um, as a discrete sector. But I think you want to own financials, you want to own industrials. I like the small cap side of that as well, because. If the economy does recover and if growth does do well, small cap industrials and small cap financials will do much better than the large cap side. And then you also I own once again I own the queues, but that that's where I'm going to go ahead I mean, and if I could call Brent, this, Brent, I'm going to I'm going to I apologize. I'm going to have to I'm going to interrupt you. We're having a little bit of trouble with your shot. It's starting to break up a little bit. It's becoming a little bit more difficult um, to understand you because of the feed. So let let us work on that for a second. Rob Seachin, help us out here while we try and fix. Uh, Bryn's feed for a moment. What about you in terms of sector play? If we think rates are going to go up in 2022, I can obviously see why people would pick financials as maybe the best performing uh, sector. But what's your broad view of that? So I like the at least earlier in the year. Like I said, I think things are data, data dependent. There's a lot of disruption happening in the financial services industry from from blockchain. I think there's there's some there's some secular headwinds emerging there. They're in the distance, but I definitely think uh, you can make some money early. As it relates to uh, the other sectors that we like, we're really focused on the consumer. Uh, the consumer's in much better shape right now. There's $2.6 trillion in excess savings on the sidelines. They're making more money. So we like the consumer sector. We also like energy. Uh, we believe in this sex cyclical play. Um, energy, spe specifically those that have more beta to them, we're not abandoning tech. We're abandoning high price overvalued tech. We do like healthcare, and we're, we're, we're initiating some positions internationally. But I think one thing's really important. There, I think the market's going to be up single digits this year. I do. But I think there's going to be a lot of investors that are up a ton more than that because there's tons of opportunity for active management right now. And if you own the sectors that are going to have the tailwinds, and it's tough to know which those are right now, but owning those sectors and then owning stocks that have huge free cash flow generation, that have huge pricing power and are not going to be impacted as much by inflation because they can pass that through to uh, to their their customers. Valuations that are reasonable will protect you in that volatile, volatile period. And then just low variability of earnings, earnings quality. So you have these high ROE companies with bulletproof balance sheets and a lot of pricing power. And I think you're gonna see some, some of the really great investors do really, really well. And I hope we can count New Edge in that. But, you know, I think it's gonna be an well, environment well, for uh, active management. Well, let me, let me ask you this, because you, you walked right into a topic that I did want to discuss, and we'll get back to more of these questions of our survey in, in just a second. And certainly with, with respect to, to you uh, and the other active managers out there, 85, this according to a story I read in the Wall Street Journal this morning or, or yesterday morning, I can't remember which, uh, but certainly flagged it. 
Some 85% of active U.S. stock funds were on pace to underperform the S&P 500 this year, Rob. 85% of active managers can't beat the market. So why is that? And, and why should I hang my hat on them this year? I think that has to do with the construction of the market you know, right now. There, it's a market cap weighted index. And you have your decisions on whether you overweight or underweight. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google are, 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 are the main factors in whether you, you outperform or underperform. And I think uh, a lot of investors went into this year, not us, thankfully, thinking that rates were going to rise earlier and they were going to have a major impact on some of these tech stocks. I think they underestimated the, the earnings power and the strength of these companies coming out of the uh, coming out of the pandemic. And so I think that's why you saw some underperformance. But there is definitely now a bias towards quality. And I think as you move towards quality, that is functionally what most active managers focus on is picking great fundamental stocks, not to exclude the Microsofts and Googles from there, because they're certainly they're certainly in that mix. But from our lens, I think it's going to broaden out a little bit. I think the cyclicality of the market, meaning we're, we're expecting a recovery, is going to aid in that progression. And the very fact that you're going to have international play and catch up is also going to aid in that, in that active management progression towards outperformance. And listen, I'm not against indexing, Scott. We do a lot of indexing and we use some of the creative ETFs to get clients exposure to things. But I do think being more surgical perspectively is going to make a lot of sense. Maybe not from an outperformance standpoint, but certainly from a risk management standpoint. You really better focus on that if you're an investor in these Bryn, uncertain you have, times. Bryn, you have a comment on this? Yeah, I mean, I just think that that statistic, if you go back five years, seven years, 10 years, it's even bigger. I think it's like 95% over 10 years of active managers underperform the benchmark. That's stable, that, and that's why you see very little flows into active managers, into the majority of, of factor-based or ETF strategies. And I think investors need to understand that, you know, in pursuit of alpha, clients rarely get beta, and that stat plays right into that. And so I think that trend's going to continue. And so outside of, let's say, an ARKK, where we couldn't, we didn't have the ability to do that passively, we invested it, invested in it. I think clients are really well served having a diversified portfolio of factor-based or passively managed strategies. Okay. Joe, I mean, you're the manager of the Joe T ETF, uh, which is now a little more than a, a year old. I'm sure you have thoughts on this. I, I do. I think from a sector perspective, uh, as I mentioned before, we're witnessing in December that healthcare is a place that you want to be. Um, going beyond that, though, and thinking about active management itself, the number that you cited that's a black mark. That's bad. The industry needs to do better. Maybe we have too many managers. I'm not sure if, if that ultimately would be the solution towards it, but we need to do a better job. We can't complain about the absence of volatility as a reason as well, Scott, because that's really what it's been the last couple of years where people have said, oh, we want volatility. That'll improve the active management environment. What's happened is is that in a low volatility environment, a lot of active managers are taking too much risk. They have too much beta exposure. 
So I began by talking about healthcare, right? Healthcare is a sector that does not have that high beta exposure. Well, in the environment we're defining in 2022, maybe healthcare as a sector is going to be indicative of the type of allocation that active managers are going to have to get comfortable with, where they're not going to be swinging for the fences. They're not going to be looking for the hyper growth stocks. They're not going to be looking for the high valuation stocks or the hot IPOs or the high SPACs. They're not going to be incurring too much of that high beta allocation and taking on too much risk. Uh, and I think that's the way to be successful in the active management space in understanding what's the environment that I'm going to be challenged with as I look forward here well, in 2022. And I think universally on the okay. show, Scott, everyone has already said it is going to be volatile and it's going to be a very bumpy ride. All right. Well, I'm glad you didn't pull a Sean Landetta on this question, Joe. And for all you Giant fans out there, you know exactly what that reference is about. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though, Joe. Remember, um, they, won the, Super, they about... won the Super Bowl after that. <laughs> hey, Ray, look, you can be a great punter, Joe. Ray Guy's in the Hall of Fame, right? I think he's the only punter in the Hall of Fame. I know. So I, get I totally point. get it. You could be great at your job. You could be great at your job, but you won't be on my roster. That, that's all. Um, so let me, let me talk to you about a another day. stock in the healthcare space. I know. Another stock in the healthcare space, since you bring it up, uh, and it's one that you own. And I do mm -hmm. note that this is new. This just dropped a few minutes ago uh, from the Investment Club, Jim Cramer, CNBC Investment Club. Uh, take a look at shares of AbbVie. Uh, Joe, you own it. That's why I'm bringing it up, mm -hmm. along with the fact that Cramer's trimming a little bit, taking advantage of the pop in the stock, hit a 52-week high. He's decreased the, uh, mm -hmm. the position a little bit. He uh, will own 1,000 shares after he finishes trimming here, 134 five dollars and 78 cents looks like where they started trimming mm -hmm. going to have a weighting of three and a half percent uh which go actually it goes to 3.22 percent from 3.53 yep. bottom line yep. kramer's and trimming abby uh, because it's been a big winner so, so i'm looking to my right and i'm reading the note and this is one hell of a note by jim he really describes the environment perfectly he cites the reasons why in the note that the stock uh, moved higher. Uh, the FDA, with, as it relates to the arthritis drug, getting the approval there. There's a lot of enthusiasm surrounding a Crohn's disease uh, medication in the EU getting approval. That obviously would be a significant growth driver as we move forward. Uh, but I respect this note. I understand his reasoning why. He's captured 82% since October of 2019. And any time you capture 82% mm -hmm. since 20, 2019, Scott, I've got no issue if someone's going to ring the register on a position. So this is a great note. It's well-written, well-thought out. It makes me think about the position that I have. I just received it. Would I do something in that position? I'm not necessarily sure. My AbbVie position is not as large as Jim's position. It's somewhere around two and a quarter percent, quote me correctly, on my portfolio. I'll check it later, but it's somewhere around two and a quarter percent. This is an awesome note. It makes you think, and I think that's the purpose of what Jim's doing here. I mean, you don't have to bow to peer pressure. It's okay. If you love your position so much, you don't want to take any no, profits. It's, it's all good. Kramer, Kramer can do whatever Listen, if, he wants if to I do. Didn't think that, Scott, if I didn't think the note was good, I'd say I don't think the note's good. This is a really well yeah. thought out, nicely written note. I, lead a, well, I read sure, a lot sure of notes Jim, that aren't very good. Okay, I'm sure Jim and the team appreciate you thinking that. We'll do this. Let's take a break.
Straight ahead, Elon Musk is selling more Tesla shares. He's moving closer to his 10% target. We'll talk about uh, what the investment committee thinks about the EV space in the new year. A lot of those stocks flying way, way high. We'll talk about it in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky says that COVID hospitalizations and deaths remain relatively low, and that's despite the surge in new cases. The White House says that booster shots are now being given to about a million Americans every day. Dr. Anthony Fauci says that it's important to determine the durability of protection from boosters before discussing the need for an additional shot. The head of the World Health Organization says that he hopes 2022 will be the year the acute stage of the COVID pandemic will end. But he is also warning of a, quote, possible tsunami of cases if the spread of Delta and Omicron is not slowed. He's urging richer nations to share COVID resources and commit to raising the global vaccination rate to 70 percent by next July. And on the news tonight, rapid COVID tests question and sports leagues trying to keep COVID from affecting more games. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And no day off for New Year's Eve. Jurors deliberating the fate of Ghislaine Maxwell. They're going to have to work on Friday if they have not reached a verdict before then. In court, Maxwell appeared encouraged by the prospect of longer deliberations and the jurors' requests for testimony from some defense witnesses. You are now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate it very much. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk about some committee moves before we have our conversation on electric vehicles. All right, Seachin, you first. Uh, this is a new position in PayPal. A lot of other people in the committee own it. Why do you own it now? Uh, simply because it's down significantly uh, year to date, about 19 percent, 40 percent off its highs. Revenues are growing at a 20 uh, 20 percent pace. They have massive brand recognition. I use it. I know you probably use it. Anybody that digitally 
Shops uses it, Scott. They have 14, 416 million global users. Brent actually gave me that statistic. And if you believe in the digital e-commerce space, which we do, this company has uh, enormous potential there. Okay, uh, we note that. Bryn, you own PayPal. Pete, you own PayPal. And speaking of Pete, you're pretty active in the options market today. And we talked about financials earlier. Yeah. You bought some city calls. Let's start there. Tell me why. Yeah, I saw some unusual action, option activity in there, Scott. They were going out to March. We already talked about financials. I liked what we saw there. And so when they're buying these upside calls, it obviously is going to trigger for me if I've already kind of got my list out of what I'm really looking for. And when I saw that, I just decided to pounce on it in terms of city. I think with, with Glaxo, the reason I jumped on that is I've been talking about healthcare for a while. That was my second half uh, sector than when we were talking about, uh, you know, the, what, what our projections were for 2021. I like healthcare still. I continue to add on to it. And I think Glaxo makes a, a lot of sense. And this is call buying for me. Not, I'm not doing the stock, but I am doing the call buying here. And that gives me a little bit of a, an option to, uh, to watch what's going on within that space because I continue to see activity across, whether it's in biotech or in just some of the, the other healthcare names. The last one I got that I think is really interesting is Micron. And the reason I like that so much mm -hmm. is all this stock has done is absolutely explode, Scott, to the upside. And yet, it's still an inexpensive stock with, I think, a lot more in front of it. And we saw some huge call buying in there. They bought 23,000 of the December 95 calls today. So that definitely triggered for me. I already own the stock, but I decided to jump into the options as well. Yeah, we talked about chips in the last day or so hitting record highs. Uh, NVIDIA, AMD, some of the other names, like a Micron, getting a nice move. Pete, mm -hmm. thanks for that. All right, let's take a quick break. We will come back with that EV conversation. Pete has unusual activity as well coming up. See you after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's do unusual, Pete. What do you have for us today? All right, I'm going to start off with energy. And, and earlier we heard Seach talk about some of the beta names. Well, I've been talking about these beta names for a really long time, Scott, and I own stocks like Chevron, like KMI, but 
I'm trading all these other ones, and I'll tell you, this one today, Devin, is very interesting because Stock already has made a very nice move. It's had an incredible year. It's had an incredible run to the upside, and it looks like it might even have a little bit more. 4,000 of the April 49 calls were purchased today, somewhere between $2.80 and a little over $3 for those calls. Now, what makes this interesting is this is a stock that, uh, you know, it hadn't seen the highs where it is right now since all the way back to July of 2018. So I think that stands out a little bit for me as well. I think these energy stocks have a little bit more to run to the upside and you're getting time, which is not what we've seen in unusual option activity of late. A lot of it's very short term, like my next one, Snowflake. Now, this one's pretty interesting as well. It's not all that far off of its highs, which is a little bit over $400 a share, but it's off a little bit, of course, $344 a share at the time today when they decided they were going to purchase the December 3000 December 350 calls. And those calls are going for about $2.30 up to about $3. I love that trade. I think this stock has the potential by the end of this week, which is what it's going to have to do, to be able to get past that 350 level. So I bought both of those calls, both in Devon and in Snowflake. And to be clear, and I, and I always like to do this with, with you, Pete, yeah. you wouldn't touch this stock with a 10-foot pole. Right. But you're more than happy correct. to play it in a short-term trade through options, correct? You are 100% correct. And I would also put that over with the Chinese names as well, stock with, or Scott, with all that's been going on with Didi and all the issues that we've faced over the last year or more. Uh, I will not touch those Chinese stocks unless I'm doing it with options. All right. No, I just like to make the the, uh, the the point there so that people are clear when you're when you're recommending this trade. It's a very specific yep. uh, trade relative to options, and not saying, "Oh, I just love this thing. No matter what, go buy the stock." That, that's why I, I like to do that, and I love right. I love when you get into yep. a little more detail on it. So thank you for that. Coming up, we will do the EV trade. Tesla's up more than 50% this year. It's not the best performing automaker out there. We're talking Rivian. We'll talk Ford. We'll talk some other names as well. And we'll do it after this. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has been on a selling spree of sorts. He sold another billion dollars worth of Tesla shares, according to a Tuesday filing. That stock's up more than 50 percent this year. It's not the best performing automaker, however. Take a look. Ford shares are up more than 130 percent. It is one of the best performing stocks in the S&P, more than doubling this year. Let's talk about that. But let's do Tesla first. Interesting, Seach. You bought Tesla and you bought it fairly recently, too. Yeah, I'm a little down on it, Scott. Um, you, you know, listen, I, I, I think if you're buying Tesla, we did it more as a trade, right? We did it because it came, came down off its highs, and we believed that it was one of those, those stocks that could recover pretty quickly, especially if you think that they are successfully breaking into being an energy company. The opportunity is massive. For them, so you know, we built a position there, more of a trading position. As you know, uh, we talked about Ford earlier in the year, maybe one of the first shows of the year. It was down about twelve dollars. Sadly, uh, we rode that train, but not all the way to the destination. Uh, we 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 bought Ford in the, in the twelve or thirteen range, rode it up to probably the seventeen eighteen range, and then got off um, simply because we had such a big return in such a short period of time. But like, like this Joe, space, yeah, I think Joe, you have to be tactical. Which Joe knows well uh, about Ford. You still own it, though, Joe, right? You've, you've been riding with Ford. I do, Scott. I view it as more of a, a, a reliable way to play 
the potential market share of growth uh, of EVs beyond Tesla. Uh, the F-150 coming out in the spring, indications are from Jim Farley and the team that there's very strong demand for it. The Mustang Mach-E uh, recently uh, coming to market, strong demand there as well. They're doing a great job just sourcing batteries, and the balance sheet is really in a very strong position as you move into 2022. So I would expect a lot of the supply chain challenges that Ford and GM and a lot of the traditional automakers are dealing with, ultimately that's going to begin to reside itself and that's going to uh, allow for the vision of the future and a very strong vision for Ford where they're participating in EVs, connected vehicles, and sourcing batteries. So I'm staying along this name. It's incredibly cheap on a valuation perspective. Bryn, Bryn, you play this a couple of different ways. You know, we, we obviously note your ownership of the ARC uh, funds and Tesla obviously having such a big play there. But the LIT is the Global X Lithium and Battery ETF, which you own uh, as well. Sure. So we have a, an energy strategy and LIT is 25% of that. So we have a lot of conviction around that. And I think on the show all year long and for the next few years, we're gonna to continue to talk about the electrification, not only of the grid, but within these EV companies. And I think that you can own Ford or GM or, or Rivian or those individual companies. And it's wonderful to see Ford you know, doing so well. It's such an iconic American brand. And I think Far um, Farley's doing a wonderful job there. But if you want to have meaningful exposure to all of the, the beneficiaries of the electrification, LIT, which is a diversified ETF, gives you exposure not only to companies like Tesla and Albemarle in the U.S., but give you exposure to Panasonic in Japan, which there's not an ADR here. You also get Samsung as well as Contemporary in China. And once again, when, with, I think it's also important when they buy their Chinese names, they buy the ordinary shares locally. And so you have those, those real shares. And so I think long-term is a secular trend. LIT gives us the highest probability to benefit from this move into EVs. And inside of that, once again, you own Tesla, but a host of other names that are the components of all of these car makers that, we're all, that you guys are all talking about. Hey, Pete, be real quick here, but you no longer own a position in Rivian, correct? Right. No, I got out of that. I think we talked about it on the show. But also, I'll just add real quickly, Scott, if you don't mind, the demand for copper is huge because of the EV space. And that is what's driving this. Take a look at what Freeport McMoran's been able to do. That's why I continue to roll options in there each and every week or at least every month. I'm going in there and, and, and actively being uh, looking for more upside because the demand of that for the EV space is absolutely incredible. And I think people have to keep a close eye on copper. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, because as we tease our next story after the break, we're looking at stocks with the most upside potential uh, heading into 2022. And guess what? Freeport is among the names on that list. We'll tell you what the others are. We'll do it next. CNBC Pro is out with a list of stocks with upside potential heading into 2022. Our screen includes names with at least 60% buy ratings and implied upside of at least 10%. So I mentioned Freeport McMoran was on the list, which Pete just mentioned. And Bryn, you own as well. Energy has a good place uh, on this list all over, the, all over it, in fact. Pioneer Natural Resources, Schlumberger, Valero, Phillips 66, Marathon, Devon. Uh, 
you you were in the XOP and energy is your top pick for 2022, even given the year that it just had? Absolutely. So I've got a big position in XLE and XOP. And I think that looking, if you just looked at one year in a vacuum, energy's had a great year. But as, as I said at the front of the show, while the NASDAQ has done 20% per year for the last 10 years, the XLE is maybe up one or 2% over the last 10 years. And so, you know, energy names have been left left for dead. And I think that you have this come together of the really restrictive policies, which will backfire by global governments. You've got ESG saying no, no oil. And you, finally, you have the oil companies are really looking to their shareholders and being fiduciaries. And they're going to be very fiscally responsible and return focus on returning money back to those shareholders over the next few years. So I think energy has lots of runway. And I will say, finally, I think that if we do get past Omicron and there's no other Greek letter behind it, by the end of next year, there's a good probability that demand for oil is actually above supply. And so I think there's lots of different optionality for energy to be in people's from clients' portfolios for all of 2022 and potentially beyond. I, I remind all, all of you as well, remember Tom Lee joined us to start the week and energy was his top pick. Um, yet again, even given the great year it's had. Uh, Rob Seachin, you own EOG. That's on the list. Yeah, listen, a shale producer that offers a combination of attractive valuations to next year's earnings, 10% free cash flow yield and 20% dividend growth. Um, So I think they stand out as, as, as a stable company within energy with low debt levels, good returns on invested capital. Um, they're also a low-cost producer. So we, we own that. And then some of our macro portfolios, we own XLE, which is the, is the, is the ETF that's focused on, on the space. And I think this has all to do with oil. Um, you know, our view is that it's going to stay at elevated levels. And typically, when oil moves, it overshoots on both sides, the downside and the upside. And I think we might be in a progression to overshoot to the upside. Okay. All right. So, Joe, you uh, used to own Freeport, as we mentioned on the list. You mm-hmm. used to own Alaska Air, Farmer Jim uh, name for all mm-hmm. you out there. Uh, you don't own that anymore, but that's on the list. But you do own Pioneer Natural Resources, which I did mention is on the list. And you've owned it for, let's call it five weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's the, really uh, off the last earnings. It was the free cash flow generation, the improvement there and the commitment to raising the dividend. Um, I, I completely agree with what Bryn and Rob are talking about. And Rob highlights something that I think potentially happens in 2022. And that's an environment where you have a very scary blow off top for oil. Um, I think energy is going to be very critical in the midterm election. It's going to be a big part of the conversation in the country as we move forward. And there's a lot of what's transitory or not as it relates to inflation but just given the supply-demand dynamic right now, uh, I don't see energy as being anything but more permanent in that inflation conversation. So you want exposure to energy, and you want to do it in a very strong qualitative way. Pioneer Natural has that strength of a balance sheet, and it's going to give you a capital allocation return as well. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Joe. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. All right, guys, we're going to do final trades quickly. Bryn and then Rob and then Joe and then Pete with a name, please. 
SVAL, small cap value factor based strategy. NVIDIA. Costco. I'm going to give you Macy's. Joe? Macy's. Was that Costco? Pete, it was supposed to be Joe, then Pete, right? Man, so much oh, for trying. Okay. <laughs> Guys, have a great day. I appreciate Thanks, everybody <laughs> watching. That, that does it for us on the Halftime Report. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.